humility over pride. Second Kings chapter five. We're gonna talk about a man named Naaman, but I'm gonna read to you from James chapter four. You don't have to turn there. James chapter four, verses uh, six through 10. This is what the Bible says. New Testament tells us this, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. This is interesting, isn't it? Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. I think what the Bible is telling us tonight is that human laughter and human joy that isn't something that is gained from the presence of God is really truly gloom and mourning. But if we are in mourning naturally and we are feeling the gloom of natural circumstances, if we will turn to the Lord, then he will fill us up with his joy, his peace, his strength. Is there anybody really interested tonight, not in a joy that comes from the things that the world can give me, but a joy that comes from him? So I should humble myself in the sight of the Lord. Wow. Pride is simply the theft of what belongs to God. Sin can be forgiven. Weakness can be strengthened. But pride must be destroyed or it will destroy you and me. Pride must die. Andrew Murray said this. Pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. Powerful. Second Kings chapter 5 Let's talk about Naaman a little bit. Now, Naaman, the Bible says in verse one, was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Has anybody in the room ever felt like there's just so many areas of my life that are going well if I could just deal with this one thing that seems to plague me like nothing else? I'm, I'm, I'm succeeding here, but I'm failing in this, is this area, or I'm, I'm doing really well here, but it seems like I can't get this part of my life together. I can imagine what he was feeling because I felt this way before. Now, verse two says, now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. I don't know what he needed all those clothes for. He must have really been into fashion. And then, and then the letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter, I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a fight with me. 
What a weak leader. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you been tripping? Why have you torn your robes? Have this man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. How many of you would like to know there's still prophets in the land? Some prophets with some power and prophets with the word of the Lord. He says, I want to show him that there is still a prophet in Israel. This is powerful. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot. He watched a lot of Benny Hinn tapes and cure me of the leprosy. Are not Abna and Fafar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. And Naaman's servants went to him and said, look at how many people are around Naaman that are serving him, that are saying good things to him. This is powerful. He already had a servant girl talking good to him, and he's got this other servant that's saving him from himself. You need people in your life that will tell you to do the opposite of what you want to do, no matter what your title is or your position is. Even if they just serve you, even if they just work for you, even if they don't have the same power as you, you need people that will tell you how it is. Naaman's servant went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like a baby's bottom. Amen. <laughs> this story is powerful. And I think, obviously, Naaman is the point of the story. But I want to talk before we get in. To name and I want to talk about, first of all, I want to talk about this girl who had been kidnapped and was serving Naaman and his wife and saved his life. This girl who had been taken from her family, taken from her home, was living as a slave in their house. She had no power no influence, no status. And she is actually the hero of this story because she told him that there is a man of God who could change his life. See, Naaman was a mighty man. Naaman was a mighty man of war, the Bible says, but he was a leper because there are some problems in your life that your title, your position, your background, your education, your degree, your influence cannot fix. I wonder if there's anybody in the room tonight that's come up against something that is not intimidated by the degree on your wall. I wonder if there's anybody in the room who's come against something that's not intimidated by the amount of money in your bank account or the amount of property that you own or the amount of houses that you have or the amount of cars that you drive or the amount of influence that you have, or the connections that you have, or the phone numbers that are in your phone. 
Is anybody in the room, maybe with a show of hands, come up against something that your title couldn't fix, your influence couldn't fix, your money couldn't fix? And you needed God himself to intervene in your life. I tell you, I come up against those types of situations all the time in my life. And I wish I could just throw my title around. And I wish I could just throw my influence around. And I wish I could just show people the numbers that are in my phone. You should see some of the numbers that are in my phone. I'm important. God says, none of that matters to me. This is about humility. This is a miracle that will only occur when you humble yourself enough to listen to people who are in a position that doesn't match yours, that doesn't came with, come with the same level as yours, that doesn't come with the same influence as yours, but somebody who's humbly serving the Lord who knows where and what you should do and where you should go. Can somebody in the room say amen? So this servant who... Can I be honest with you? Has every right to just sit there and watch Naaman die. She has every right. She's been taken from her family. She's been kidnapped. She is in this situation because she was forcibly removed from her family. And now she is serving Naaman and his family. It's an amazing thing that. She would even care enough about this person who robbed her of her family, robbed her of her future, robbed her of her inheritance, robbed her of the life that she had known. And yet she is still humble enough, caring enough, loving enough to look at someone who has taken her from everything she knows and still reach them and love them and have compassion on them. Wow. She's been kidnapped. She's been stripped of her dignity. She's been robbed of her inheritance. She had lost everything, but she had not lost her relationship with God. I just want you to know tonight that I know maybe over these past couple of years, you've lost some things, but I want to tell you something. The world can take a lot from you, but they cannot take your relationship with God. They can take your job. They can take your title. They can take your money. They can take a lot, but they cannot steal from you your relationship with God. Can I tell you, even in a world that is insecure and a world that is unstable right now, I tell you what is still secure, your relationship with God, the father in heaven, it was secure by Christ. It's an unshakable relationship. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Your money may fail. Your friends may fail. Your family may fail. Your health may fail, but I'll never, I'll never fail you. So this answer to this massive problem in his life comes from an unlikely person. Naaman's greatness was connected to what he did. Her greatness was connected to who she knew. And I found out in life as I'm kind of learning what influence is. Influence is really not about what you do. It's about who you know. It's, it's wild. My, my sister used to work in the city. And 
we'll, we'll go through things sometimes and we'll say, hey, wow, we need a permit for that. Or we need to talk to somebody about that. And Becca's like, I know exactly who to talk to. And she has a relationship with them and she can get in touch with them. And I'd be fumbling around trying to get a meeting and trying to get on somebody's schedule. But it's not really about what you know. It's about who you know. And Naaman was a man of great power and great status, but he didn't have the access that he needed for this one. And she turned him to the one who had the access that was necessary to have this miracle happen in his life. Wow. So if I know who I am, I can find myself in any situation in life and still be confident in who I am because if I know who I belong to, there's a confidence in my life in knowing who I am. That my situation doesn't determine what God can do in my life. That my background doesn't determine what God can do in my life. Come on, somebody. That even who I know in the natural doesn't determine what God can do in my life. But God himself, with one word, can turn a situation around, can speak into somebody's ear, can open a door of favor and change my life forever. Is there anybody thankful today that your life isn't hinging on whether or not somebody likes you because the one who controls it all and owns it all already does? That's good news for us. But her kindness to me, as I look at this story, it's remarkable. Why is this remarkable? Because really, honestly, the real test of pride is not how you treat your friends, but how you treat your enemies. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Let me explain something, too, about Jesus in the book of Matthew and as he's teaching and he's preaching this sermon on the mount and it seems as if he's contradicting the law. He says, you have heard it said. Notice he doesn't say it was written. He says, you have heard it said. In other words, Jesus isn't challenging the law that Moses wrote. Remember, Jesus said, I didn't come to get rid of the law. I came to fulfill the law. Okay, he doesn't say you have heard it was written. He says, no, you have heard it said Jesus is dealing with the men and the women who had who had who had perverted God's law into fables and myths. Remember, he said, you have made the word of God of none effect because of the traditions that you've been passing on. You've been teaching people stuff that's not even in my word. You've been turning stuff into law. That's not even the law that I wrote in the first place. So he said, you heard it said. You heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I never told you to do that. <laughs> but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. What a challenge. So pride isn't tested by how I treat the people who treat me well. My pride is tested by how I treat my 
enemies. And man, has my pride and your pride been tested recently. I love this girl because there's a couple things I want to show you about her life. First of all, she did not let her captivity take her captive. And I don't know what you're going through right now that makes you feel like you are captive. But don't allow your captivity to take you captive. Don't act like your circumstances are trying to demand you act like. Don't change who you are because your circumstances have changed. Don't allow the situation that you're going through that has you locked up and has you feeling like you're bound and has you feeling like you're stressed out and you're anxious. Don't allow that situation to take you not only captive physically, but emotionally and spiritually. Don't allow your captivity to take you captive. In other words, if you are in a situation that you cannot physically get out of, get your mind out of it. And if you can get your mind out of a situation, your life will follow. I want you to hear me tonight. If I can get my mind out, my life will follow. As I read through the scripture, I read about people who were constantly in situations that were extremely difficult. I read about Daniel. I read about Joseph. I read about others. I read about Moses. Moses, who All of these men and all of these women were in difficult situations, situations many times that they did not even bring on themselves, but they were able to live outside of it in their mind. And eventually their life got out of the situation that they could get their mind out of. Is there anybody in the room tonight who feels locked up? But I don't want to let my captivity. Come on, somebody. I don't want to let the thing that's trying to hold me captive take me captive in my mind. She had every right to be angry. But she was compassionate. She could have watched him die and felt justified because of what he had done to her. Don't ever get to a place. And I know we love the movies. I know we love the movies and we love a good revenge movie. Oh man, I love a good revenge movie. Liam Neeson just getting somebody. I just love it. I have a particular set of skills. I just, I just love it. I love it. But listen to me. Vigilante justice is not God's idea of justice. Getting people back for what they did to you, that's not biblical. The Bible teaches us, God says to us, vengeance belongs to me. And every time you get back at somebody, you steal what belongs to God. Wow. So on to Naaman for a second. Notice this about Naaman. Pride isn't cured by promotion. Pride isn't cured because you've got the best title. Pride isn't cured because you're the best, you're the best warrior out there. Pride isn't cured because you're in charge of everything. As a matter of fact, the more elevated you become, sometimes the more prideful you become. And you begin to insulate yourself from people who could keep you humble. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? We think that, man, if I get this, then I'll be satisfied. And then we get it and we're not satisfied. 
because so many people in here right now are complaining about a life you begged God for, you have it, and now you're ungrateful. You beg God for the place you're in right now, but you're now unthankful for the thing you used to plead with God to give you. So promotion doesn't cure our pride. Elevation doesn't cure our pride. Matter of fact, I think elevation exposes it. Titles don't cure our pride. Pride is cured by humility. In this story, Naaman keeps trying to go up in this story. Naaman keeps trying to go up. But God keeps sending him down. As a matter of fact, the final place he ends up, the Jordan, the word Jordan means descent. <laughs> you wouldn't think that because when I think Air Jordan, I think ascent. I think MJ, I'm like, this guy's flying through everything. But the word Jordan actually means to descend or descent. And the place that God was ultimately going to lead him to was a place of descent. Wow. So God sends him down. Watch what he does. God sends him, first of all, to a country he hates. To the worst city in that country. To a prophet's house. And the prophet won't even come and answer the door. Wow. Then he sends him to the dirty waters of the Jordan. So first of all, pride isn't cured by promotion. Second of all, pride is not cured by getting what you want. Some people, if I just got what I want, all my issues would be solved. If I just got what I wanted, everything in my life would turn around. And if I just got what I wanted, listen, pride is not cured by getting what you want. It's cured by doing what God wants. Come on, somebody. In 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 11, the Bible says that Naaman went away angry. Why did he go away angry? Because the prophet had told him to go wash himself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and be cleansed. The Bible says, but Naaman went away angry and said, I thought. I thought. And so many people in this room right now are living in this place of I thought. Like I went to church and I thought. I gave in an offering and I thought I served with kids. I didn't even take the easy job and hand out the bulletins at the front. I served with the kids, with the babies in their stinky diapers. And I thought I got married and I thought <laughs> I got my degree and I thought I got a promotion and I thought. We, I had a kid and I thought, and I thought it would be different. 
I went into the situation assuming that this was how God was going to do it. Can I help you with something tonight? Can I help you to understand that anytime you go into a situation assuming that God's going to do it the way you think he's going to do it, can I promise you that he's going to do the exact opposite of the thing you thought he was going to do? There's a bunch of different occurrences where Jesus heals blind people in the New Testament. None of them are the same. Because God doesn't want you to try to fit him into a box or make him out to be a formula. Or, or, or when he approaches you, you say to him, well, you know, please, Jesus, uh, uh, can you just lead me outside of town like you did the one blind man? Please don't spit on me. I prefer the method of leading me outside of the city. Because <laughs> we just, we want, we come to God with our assumptions. And one of the most frustrating, can I please listen to me tonight? One of the most frustrating ways to live your Christianity, one of the most frustrating ways to live for Jesus is to live with assumptions. Because you'll get so angry at a God who you thought was going to do it how you wanted him to do it. I thought, 2 Kings 5 and 11 says, Naaman went away angry. He said, I thought that he would surely come out to me. I thought that he would stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God. And at least when I watched that Benny Hinn DVD, that's what he did. I thought he would at least stand there and just wave and I'd fall out. Something. I thought God would. I assumed he would. And so many people are just angry because they can't get past the fact that they don't get to control how God responds to their prayers. For so many of you in the room, can I say this to you? It's not that God isn't answering it's just that you refuse to hear it because it's not coming the way you wanted it to come. And can I tell you, most of the time that God wants to do something miraculous in your life, he gives you instructions. He comes to a man who's been sick for 38 years. He says, do you want to be made well? And he says, do I want to be made well? Um, and he looks at him and says, pick up your mat. He, 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 he tells the guy who, who he puts mud on his eyes, he's like, hey, uh, go wash that off. I'm still blind. Like, I hope you, I can't see where I'm going. There are these two blind men that are following Jesus in the New Testament, and they're calling out, Lord, Lord. They're literally, Jesus, Jesus. And the Bible says Jesus literally ignores them and walks into a house and he sits there. And he waits for them to find him in the house. Y'all look like Jesus, he's so kind. No, he messes with people. There's two blind men. This story starts this way. Two blind men follow Jesus. And Jesus is just like. 
<laughs> what are we talking about? This is crazy. Here's the, here's the thing. Your ability to receive what God wants to give you has everything to do with whether or not you are going to live offended at God or not. Because God is going to offend your senses. He's going to offend your feelings. And he's going to ask you to follow him beyond your feelings. Because his goal is to get your feelings out of the way so that you stop living by your feelings. Stop living by your issue. Stop being defined by what you've been through. Stop being defined by what they called you. Stop being defined by what they said about you. Stop being defined by what they did to you. Find your way past your emotions, past your feelings, past your hurt, past your pride. Find your way. Oh, man. So many people just kind of sitting there just like, Jesus, will you, will you please come to me? Oh, I, I did. You remember that? You remember that cross thing? I left heaven, came all the way to earth, died on a cross for you. Gave you my life, filled you with my spirit. And then I looked at you and said, now follow me. Follow me. One of the issues of pride, James says, that, that, that's going to that's gonna determine how much you really experience of God. He says, he says, people don't like this, but James says, draw near to him and he will draw near to you. That offends me. But that's the Bible. I shouldn't have to. See, your assumption is that he's not already drawn near. He's already drawn near. He's asking for you to draw. And now he will draw. I've already done what I've needed to do, God is saying. It's necessary for you. To, Peter said, you have everything that you need that pertains unto life and godliness. So you're not really in your Christian walk waiting for God to come do something. No, God's waiting for you to respond to what he has done. Oh, man. So he says, hey, um, just tell him to go wash in the Jordan seven times. Seven times. But I thought he was going to wave his hand over the spot. No, go wash seven times. And some people are hanging on to their problems because they are refusing God's instructions. And it's, and it's not that you're always super far away from the thing that God wants to do in your life. Sometimes it's a small change that God is asking you to make. Remember when he came to, his, to the disciples, they were fishing. And he said, hey, have you, have you caught anything? They're like, no, man, we've been fishing all night. Nothing out here. You just flip the nets on the other side of the boat. You realize this isn't a carnival cruise boat. Like, this is just a little bitty boat. Just a few dudes in this boat. We're... The other side is basically the same <laughs> as the side we've been on all night long. But nevertheless, at your word, 
And all of a sudden, fish that didn't seem to be there all night long show up because of a small adjustment. How much would break loose in your life if you would just make some small obedience adjustments? Just some small adjustments in your obedience. There's a portion of scripture in the Old Testament. I gotta give this to you because I, I was reading this this week and I thought this was funny. God was asking, um, I have to find it. It's in a different set of notes that I'm preparing for another sermon. Oh man, hang on a second. I gotta find this. It's not in these. Ooh, that's a good one. I, I wanted to preach that one tonight, but he didn't, he didn't let me. Oh, man. Where is this? Come on. It's got to be here. Hang on. Give me a second. Oh, the Internet's not working. That's what's going on. My Internet's not working. There's a scripture in the Old Testament where God is, is asking them to obey and I think, it, I think it's in Deuteronomy. And he's, he's given them some rules. And he says, it's not like I'm asking you to, to go to heaven. It's not like I'm asking you to change the world. It's not like I'm asking you to do something that's beyond your ability to do. I'm asking you to do something that's very simple. And you just refuse to do it. Isn't that amazing? It's not the... the, the the law of God, the commands of God are not these extremely difficult, hard things to do. It's like, it's like when, you, when you read the Ten Commandments, it's like, oh, that's just legalism. It's like, do not kill? What's so hard? Like, why, why is that so offensive to people? Why are you so offended by that? Like, why does that hurt your feelings so much that I'm just asking you don't kill people? It's like I'm offended by I'm offended by anybody asking me to do anything. I'm offended by 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 anybody saying, hey, there's there's better for you. God has a better way. God has a better life for you. It's Deuteronomy 30. This is what the Bible says. Verse 11. It says, now I'm command. Now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for, for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend to heaven to get it. And proclaim it so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you have to ask. Who will cross the sea to get it and to proclaim it as, as we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. Here's the thing that you forget as a follower of Jesus. The commandments of God are no longer on a wall, on some stone. The commandments of God, now that you are saved, are written in your heart. They are in your heart. Your spirit wants to obey. Come on, man. And God never, God never asks you to give up something because he's trying to take something from you. He's always asking you to do something for him because he's trying to get something better to you. And I want to say this to you if you're in this room tonight and, and maybe... Maybe if, if you've, maybe you've made a lot of mistakes in this room tonight, and I don't want to, this is not about shaming you, but this is about informing some who have not, who have not polluted their memories yet. I have some things in my past that, man, 
they're tough for me sometimes. Does anybody know I'm talking about some things in my past that bring shame to my life and I have to apply the blood of Jesus to those things? See, God loves you so much. The reason he gave you the commandments, they're not just about your future. God gave us commandments so that we could enjoy our memories. This is, this is how much he loves you. That he's not just trying to protect your future. He's trying to guard your memories. And the more I, I obey him, the more I say yes to him, the more I get to look back over my memories and thank God. that some, I, I'm thankful for my youth pastor who told me about purity of life. And I'm thankful for my youth pastor. I'm thankful for Chris and Lynn Fortney who challenged me in my youth to, to be godly. Because I'm able to look back over some of the things in my life and look back on some of the things that I went through and say, man, wow, look what God saved me from some trouble. God saved me from some difficult memories. God saved me from some regret. And I don't say that in the room to shame anybody in the room who has regret. I have regret. But I'm thankful that God loves me enough that his word, his, his laws, his, his commands are not a threat to my freedom. but they are a way that God wants to provide joy in our memories and hope for our future. And so tonight, Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. We thank you that you love us enough to tell us the difficult things. We thank you that tonight you love us exactly where we are, but you love us too much to leave us there. And so if there's anybody in this room tonight who, like me, there are maybe some areas of their life where you've been asking them to do some things and maybe they've not been willing and I haven't been willing sometimes to do those things that you've asked me to do because I thought, God, and I've walked away angry because you didn't answer my prayer the way I thought you were going to answer it, but you gave me an instruction and I didn't, I didn't like instruction, but Proverbs teaches me that I should, not, I should not despise instruction. A fool despises instruction. No matter how great, no matter how small the instruction, help me, God, to say yes to your word, say no to my feelings, and to say yes to your word. Is there, if, if, if there's anybody in the room today, would everybody just stand with me? If there's anybody in the room tonight and Maybe you just want to come to this altar and just maybe say, God, as a sign that I'm just I'm letting you know I'm humble before you. And I want you to know that I'll go dip in whatever Jordan you want me to dip in. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I just want to come tonight and just for a moment, just kind of humble myself in this altar. You can come, you can stand, you can get on your knees and, and bend down however you want to do it. Even if you don't want to come here, maybe you want to turn around and just kneel at your seat. That's totally fine too. But God, I just want to, as a sign of humility, I just, want to, I just want to say to you that I'm willing to descend. I know that my title, I know that my influence, 
I know that my money, I know that my resources, they don't impress you. My status doesn't impress you. But my humility does. It pleases your heart. And there's nothing you cannot do for a people who have humbled themselves before the Lord, humbled themselves under the mighty hand of God and said, God, I'm your vessel. I'm your servant. I know my title may be warrior, but I'm really just your servant. I know my title may be leader, but I'm really just your servant. I know my title may be CEO, but I'm really just yours. I know my title may be teacher, but you're really the teacher. So God, I just, I humble myself before you tonight. And even if it's the dirty waters of the Jordan, even if it's that you ask me to descend in places that I'd rather not go, even if you ask me to go to a place I don't like, to a people I don't like, I'm willing to go. Help me, God. Help me, God, to stay in a place where I'm receptive to your word, that your spirit can lean into me and say, Rob, that's just wrong. That attitude's wrong. That way of thinking is wrong. Help me, God, to stop coming to you with my assumptions, to stop coming to you with my preconceived ideas about how you're going to do it, how you're going to use my life, what you should do with my life, how you should do, how you should perform, how you should act, how you should respond. God, you're the creator. I'm the created. I don't get to tell you how to use me what to do with me. I don't get to set the parameters of how you use me or what you do with me. I don't get to tell you where I'm willing to go and what I'm willing to do. You are Lord. And just as those disciples said that day, Master, we've been doing it all night. We've been doing it our way all night, but nevertheless, at your word, we'll try again. Help me to make that adjustment. Help me to make that adjustment in my spirit because I don't just need a savior. I need a Lord. I need a master. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, if you're, if you're in this altar today, would you just stand up on your feet? Amen. Just stand up on your feet tonight. Amen. I think we need to give God some praise. And he's faithful. And he, he uses servants, doesn't he? This whole story, you see servants saying, hey, Naaman, you really need to talk to the prophet. Hey, Naaman, I know you're mad right now, but you really need to humble yourself and do. Thank God for people who come into our lives and speak words of humility. Just, just a couple weeks ago, I had to get humbled. I, I, I had made a decision and... Um, I, it was a quick decision and I hadn't considered some things and my dad 
who is our founding pastor. Um, he's our lead presbyter. We've got elders here that speak into my life. He texted me at early in the morning when real men of God wake up apparently. And he said, Rob, I don't feel good about this. I think you need to go. I think you need to follow through with this. And my first response was so prideful. I said, I said, what do you, why would you even? And then later on, I thought, why are you being such an idiot? He's looking out for you. He, he only has your best in mind. Why would you react like that? So we got to talk again. I did what he said. And when you know when I did what he said, I felt all of the way and all of the pressure and all of the stuff that I had been convinced I was doing right. I felt all of that just leave me and I felt so clean. <laughs> just so right. The Bible says that the righteous are as bold as a lion. It was in that moment I thought, God, I could ask you for anything, can I? You'll do anything for me right now, wouldn't you? So I'm telling you, I, I, don't, I don't care how old you get or how powerful you get or how much influence you have or how many people look to you. Stay humble. It's, it's how God saves you from yourself. <laughs> it's how he saves you from yourself. I love you tonight.